0: Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show!
1: Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd.
2: You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about?
0: Hey everybody, I'm Eric Arno, and this is the Nerdlogs Presents Your Stories podcast. We're back this week with part two of our third annual Horror Story celebration, including some spooky tales about caves, social conformity, terrible customers, and exes. What could be scarier? I don't know. Huge thanks to our wonderful storytellers this week, including Jeremy Connie, Leia Marshall, and Perky, and Juan Kim. You'll also get music from myself and Katie Johnston-Smith. Friends, this is the last podcast we're releasing this year that's eligible for inclusion in our Best of 2017 episode. Uh, next week, we'll be back with information on putting together our year-end shows and how you, as always, can help with that. Um, that is a favorite tradition in Neurologland, land, and we're looking forward to that. We had a heck of a year, and it's going to be fun to celebrate, but we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. First, you've got to enjoy this episode. It is imperative, and enjoy it you will. I promise. Thanks, guys.
1: This first tune is from, I think, an artist who, like, makes everything spooky. Uh, And he looks like a spooky ghost himself. Jack White. (laughs) So true. So true. This light that shines on me tonight Turns on when you wander through my door And your friends will see you in the end, I'm sure But you love them anyhow
0: Covered, originally not by him but first i realized that the chord structure of it is very similar to a song by a band that means a lot to me and a certain someone in the audience so i want to tell a little story while i vamp like a fucking rock star up here like we're on vh1 storytellers so five years ago uh me and kevin reader did the show called the masquerade which was like this very bizarre kind of uh I don't know what it was exactly. It was like a variety show kind of set in like a medieval court, but it was also like contemporary and absurd. And um, my buddy Ed was there and I played this Scorpion song on acoustic guitar called No One Like You, and I dedicated the song to Ed, even though there was a girl in the audience and I secretly was like, oh, she's going to be so jealous when I play this song for Ed, because I had a huge crush on her. Um, That didn't work, but (laughs) but which is good. It shouldn't have worked. But the moment between Ed and I became a very sacred bond. And, uh, we forever had this blood pack to go see the Scorpions live, which we finally did two weeks ago. And it was really awesome. The only part of that that's a horror story is that Megadeth opened,
5: and I don't know if you know
0: this, but, uh, they've become very, uh, well, let's just say they literally have a film by Alex Jones that plays during their set. So that's Megadeth now. (laughs) That was a bummer. The Scorpions were fucking cool. And as I was figuring out the chords of this song by Tegan and Sarah, I'm like, wait a minute. You know what other song this is? This is Send Me an Angel. So, Ed, I'm going to sing you one verse of Send Me an Angel. Yeah. This is for you, bro. Because yeah. the scorpions are fucking awesome and nobody can tell us they're not. Yeah. <laughs> Wise men said,
2: walk this way to the dawn of the light along
0: the way Oh, fuck, I forgot the words. Oh, no. Hear this voice from deep inside It's the call of your heart Seek the rose and you will find Your way out of the dark Now Klaus goes really high. Scorpion song Woo! love you Ed
5: Woo!
0: this isn't directed to any women in the room this time this is just for Ed I'm sure you are all jealous I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure you're all lovely and worth your own sco- Scorpion song in your own way anyway this is called Walking with a Ghost no matter which way
2: you go no matter which way you stay you're out of my mind You're out of my mind I was walking with the ghost I said please, please don't insist I was walking with the ghost I said please, please don't insist No matter which way you go No matter which way you stay You're out of my mind With the ghost, I said, Please, please don't insist. With the ghost, I said, please, please don't insist. I was walking with the ghost. I said, please, please don't insist. I was walking with the ghost. I was walking with the ghost. I was walking with the ghost. I was walking with the ghost
0: with the ghost
5: there you go
0: tegan and sarah by way of the scorpions two bands that always just go so well together (laughs) tegan and sarah super great uh if you guys are music nerds p.s they have a 10th anniversary covers album of their record the con coming out this year super good ryan adams does back in your head uh churches does uh the last song on the album, I don't know what it's called, but it's really good. Uh, going to be a great record. I'm not promoting them in any way professionally, I just think it's really good. Uh, so, coming up first to the stage in this half, this gentleman uh, runs his own video production company, Smart Yeti Studios. He also, uh, I'm not saying that, you know, my friends and I have a super secret Magic the Gathering League that uh, we have a Facebook group for and everything, but if we did, this man might be the commissioner of it, taking over from myself and Chris Geiger. Please welcome Jeremy Connie. Lead,
3: of course. Oh of course. Hypothetically, uh, well, hypothetically if there yeah. was. Hypothetically, we drafted last I mean, night. Yeah. I got I mean, those sweet dinosaurs, it, baby. <laughs> if people have fun playing magic, that's all that's alright. <laughs> uh, thank you, Eric. So in the ripe blossoming age of post-college, 23-24, uh, of my life, when I almost had a fully formed brain. <laughs> I decided to go on a spelunking trip. And I... For those of you who don't know what spelunking is, it's when you go into a cave that is not commercially uh, renovated. There's no stairs, it's just ground, it's dirt. You're going into a cave. And I remember when I told someone about this at the time, they said, oh, great, you're going to have a fantastic time. You know what you should do before you go? You should watch the movie The Descent. (laughs) I said no, <laughs> absolutely not, but thank you for the suggestion. Uh, we did have a great time. It was a, a, it was a cave in southern Indiana that happened to be on private land. So, all you had to do to get into this cave that was not renovated, not built up in any way, no supervision, no whatsoever, is sign a waiver at the entrance to the cave saying, We won't sue you. I assume that's what it said. I didn't really read it. <laughs> So me and a group of about eight or so college friends got together to go camp outside the cave, go in during the day, and explore. And it was really fun. I, up until that point, I had only been in things like Mammoth Cave, where there are stairs, there's lights, you get to see big stalactites, and there's someone guiding you, even though you don't need any guidance. There's a path. It's going to be fine. <laughs> uh, but I've always wanted to go spelunking So that's why I wanted to go on this trip I wanted to be in I wanted to be in a cave That was unfurnished That you know, was like what we went through Which The beginning of the cave is nice and open Then you get to parts that Maybe you're, you're crawling on your belly Single file uh, To get through Because that's all you can fit Is a, is a body width and body height uh, to get through some of these places, and then it'll, then the cave that we're in, uh, at least, it would open up into giant caverns where you know the headlamps that we are looking at with couldn't light the whole room. Uh, and like any time that one might go spelunking, you have a moment where you shut off all the lights and look at the sit- the environment that you're in that is completely devoid of light. Uh, you're alone and. This is so different than our usual lifetime where we're, you know, constantly in, in light. Uh, it's it's kind of magical and, and was really fun to experience. Uh, we had one of those moments and, you know, we uh, kept going further. Uh, we had packed a couple of snacks because we didn't know how long we were going to be along for the trip. Um, and we continued on to the point where we got tired and we're like, okay, let's head back. This has been fun. Then we turned back and realized... Huh. Things... Things look different this way. Did we head... Did we turn left at that unrecognizable sort of rock that's distinctly (laughs) the same as that rock? We got lost. Uh, about two hours underground, we were lost uh, and that was a really scary moment of you know I was with seven other people, and I was probably the least panicked, one of the few that that were not as panicked as other people. Everybody else was very much of the we 're going to die. Uh, down here, which is absolutely, uh, could have been a possibility for this trip. Uh, and that we were, you know, we, I learned a lot of things about spelunking on this trip. <laughs> it's just that they happen afterwards. Like, it's a smart idea to have things mark your path of travel. Uh, you're in an un, you know, unrecognizable, uh, piece of rock and dirt, you know, if you're choosing to go a direction, uh, as will happen in a uh, non-commercialized cave, it's good to either put reflective tape up or maybe you know stack some pebbles in an arrow that says, "Hey, you came from this direction." We didn't do that, uh, so we had to figure out what to do next. Uh, what preceded? was about 30 to 45 minutes of us worrying a lot and trying out different directions. We, in fact, had one of those movie moments where we had gone away from where we realized we were lost, that wonderful moment, that area that we all worried for a second, and we traveled and we made choices to try and figure out where we were and where how to get back, and then suddenly we were back where we first were. And that was the second sinking feeling of not only did we not know where we were, we tried, and we just got back to the same place that we realized we were before. And the way that the cave was sort of laid out in my mind is I remember the landmarks of it. Uh, The beginning of the cave is full of foliage and water and, and life because it's still at the edge of the cave, you have a lot of the outside world creeping in. Uh, that goes away fairly fast. Uh, the other landmark, landmarks that stayed along the way, much farther in, was the graffiti. Uh, as people wandered in, they wanted to make a mark on the cave, so they would uh, they would make graffiti, and that uh, I remember that very distinctly because it lasted much longer than the foliage. There's also one other landmark that we found that was surprising uh before the graffiti died out but after the foliage dead there was uh, a single bat that was hanging on the side of the cave that was way past any other wildlife that we had seen in the cave all the bugs had started uh not being present anymore and it was just rock and dirt and water and then a bat And no matter how much we made noise or walked past it or talked about it or moved as close to it, it didn't move, not a single inch. And then we were all fascinated by it on the way in before we got, you know, worried about our lives. (laughs) And that was the landmark that I knew I would be okay with uh, or I knew I would be okay in this journey. After we had been making our way out, we had seen some graffiti along the way. Uh, after we had started making choices again and and finding our way out, but we got lost again. And it wasn't until we saw this bat that we all felt like we were going to be fine. That we we're going to get out of this cave because you know up until that point we were we started worrying about oh we didn't bring a lot of food a lot of water. We don't know how long we're going to be in here. Uh, but we, as you can tell, I, we all made it out.
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and things were fine. And uh, But that experience of the possibility of not making it back alive changed how I viewed decisions and my life moving forward. It changed my perspective. Not that I don't take risks anymore, or I'm a first to risk, but I spend a bit more time realizing and, and educating myself about what the possible downsides could be. Uh, and you might be happy to know that in the years after that trip, I did get to go back on another trip to that cave in southern Indiana, this time with reflective tape. <laughs>
0: Like, like legitimately scary right like even though obviously Jeremy made it out alive I mean I just want to point out we don't really know that your seven friends did like we don't have visual proof and you never will. just your word exactly right uh, you guys ever read that book House of Leaves
5: Oh, yeah.
0: yeah, it's really. Sc- I couldn't like. I just read it. Shout out to Ben Rather, our our favorite listener who uh, who let me borrow it this summer. I couldn't read it at night. Like it's super scary. It's about like this labyrinth in the basement of a house. I don't know. It's really good. I would check it out. Anyway, y'all coming next to the stage. So a couple months ago, the Nerd Logs did uh, a pretty cool event at the uh, Soho House promoting our new card game competition kitchen which is just about to be actually available, I think. Right, Kevin?
5: Yeah.
0: Yeah, real soon. We're going to have real physical copies for everybody uh, who either bought one or will buy one. Or maybe we'll give you a free one if you like you. Uh, JK. <laughs> we like all of you. But we met this woman at the event, struck up a conversation, became fast friends. She has a story to tell. It seemed like a good night for her to come tell it. Please welcome Lea Marshall.
4: Hello, everyone. Jeremy, that was some scary shit. I have a question for you, though. Okay. Did you name the bat?
3: We didn't. <laughs> That's
4: the first thing. I always, whenever I meet an animal I like, I name it in my head, and I give it a personality. And the first thing that came to mind when you were telling that story is, oh, I name it baseball. Baseball bat. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> So as Eric mentioned, we met at Soho House a few months ago. Kevin and Eric were promoting their new game, Competition Kitchen, which if you've ever dreamed about being on Iron Chef, this game will allow you to live out those fantasies. Um, But uh, Kevin and I exchanged info after the event, and the next day he emailed me, and he told me about this storytelling series that he runs. And I said... That's so funny because I just wrote a story and it would be so much more fun to share it with actual people than for it just to be on the internet somewhere. And so Kevin's like, okay, I think we could probably make something work, but our next opening isn't till October and it's a Halloween show and the theme is horror. And I'm like, well, that's perfect because my story is about my last experience dating and it ended <laughs> with me getting ghosted. <laughs> So this is a story about Ben. Ben was one of the best conversationalists I'd ever met, and he could make me laugh like no one else, the sexiest quality of all. We actually met at a grocery store, well technically we connected on a dating app, but hours before our initial date, Ben and I literally almost bumped into each other at the Whole Foods in our neighborhood. He was there buying deodorant for our date. I had just finished dance class and was running in for a drink. He spotted me, recognizing me from my photos, which was, frankly, a miracle, because Saturday mornings I do three hours of dance classes, and usually just getting to the studio for the 10 a.m. class is a win. I rarely make time for niceties, like hair brushing, putting on underwear, definitely no makeup. And so I was surprised and flattered. We started chatting briefly and then parted ways to get ready for the evening. And shortly after I left, I got a text from him. You're just as beautiful as your photos. So we ended up dating for two months and had the most fun together. From us going to the driving range and taking bets on who'd hit the caddy cart first. <laughs> to a day trip to the Indiana dunes, a salmon cook off, his smoked salmon versus my world famous raspberry chipotle roasted salmon, badminton on the beach, we weirdly both played in high school, leisurely bike rides, romantic boat rides, lazy brunches, strolls through Chicago neighborhoods, homemade tortilla and ceviche making, hashtag seduction. <laughs> Movies in the park, ping pong, and parties with friends. There was also incredible romance, affection, and chemistry. I was at an event last month where one of the speakers, an incredible poet named Najwa Zebian, said, when you feel truly seen by someone, you let your guard down and you're vulnerable. And we get attached to that feeling of authenticity sometimes even more for our feelings for the person themselves. And I think that's what happened with Ben. I shared parts of myself with him that I hadn't with anyone else before. I remember one of the times that we cooked dinner together. We're at his dining room table, and I love to be rubbed. And so he was massaging my legs, and there I was with this incredible guy, and he just cooked me dinner, and he was rubbing me. And I was gazing into his gorgeous blue eyes, and I look at him and I say, Ben, I need to tell you something. And he's like, what? Oh my God, I hope this isn't being syndicated on Nickelodeon. I look at him and I say, all I want is for you to eat that corn salad off my body right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and matter of factly, without skipping a beat, True Ben style, he replied, Oh, you're into sloshing. <laughs> Does anyone know? Maybe you two know. Does anyone know what sloshing is? Nope. Okay, a couple of people. What do you
2: know about it? Uh, this isn't going to be a Nickelodeon, right? <laughs> no, no, Nickelodeon. I've been told. Well, it's like food porn, except. It's like a food fetish. Yeah. yeah.
4: Okay. So I didn't know what splashing was until he said it. I just thought I really enjoyed treating my body like a platter and getting food off, eaten off of me. And I say this jokingly, but the truth is, I was totally myself with Ben. And I didn't realize until Nashua spoke those words that most of us go through life hiding aspects of ourselves a lot of the time. And Ben was no exception. About a month into our dating, I learned while in a very compromising position, that Ben had just ended a two-year relationship weeks before we started dating and wasn't looking for anything serious. There's a woman named Esther Perell. Some of you might be familiar with her. She gave a viral TED Talk on Desire. I got to see Esther speak recently at an event, and she said something so profound. She said, often in dating, you're picked for a role that you didn't audition for. And this was definitely the case for both Ben and me. On our first date, Ben told me, you're so different than I thought you'd be, then your photos make you seem. At the time, I took it as a total compliment because my photos are saucy. And I thought Ben was saying that he loved how smart and substantive I am in addition to being hot. No, he was just communicating that he was looking for a fling and thought that I was too. And to be fair, I saw his profile And assumed he was a nice Jewish boy looking for something meaningful because that's what I was looking for. After Ben told me he wasn't looking for anything serious, my ego was a little bruised, but I figured I'd continue to date other guys and just move him down a peg on my priority list. The truth was though, none of the guys I was dating made me feel what I felt with Ben for me, one of the ultimate aphrodisiacs is incredible conversation, and it came effortlessly with Ben. He was always telling me something fascinating he had just read or would respond to a question in a way that completely pushed my thinking. One evening after we'd spent the day together on a boat, I asked him what he loved so much about being on the water. He told me about how in Catch-22, one of the main characters does things that are boring, as a way to prolong life by seemingly slowing time. There's a luxurious feeling to spending a day on a boat with nothing to do, Ben replied. I loved his thoughtful explanations and his unexpected answers and the creative quirky way that he viewed the world. Towards the end of our dating, the texts came a little less frequently and usually would start with a sorry for the late reply. One of my responses was all good. Some guys just have a longer refractory period. (laughs) Ben knew exactly what I meant, and without missing a beat, he replied. But when I finally do respond to a text, I'm incredibly passionate about it. Our last date together started with a walk hand in hand, then cocktails and delicious conversation overlooking the city at Hotel Roby, and finally sparks in the bedroom and in the kitchen. Nothing unusual or out of the ordinary happened that night, but I never did hear from Ben again. I had forgotten how much it hurt, missing his touch, the way his text put the biggest smile on my face, the tantalizing anticipation of our time together, knowing how much I turned him on, and the intoxicating feeling of being turned on as well. In that moment, and in the days that followed, I felt this horrible mix of embarrassment, sadness, and loss. We all have different ways of coping with our dating horror stories. On good days, for me, it's binge listening to Beyonce. (laughs) So empowering. In my less proud moments, it's definitely cookie dough ice cream and cheesy Hallmark movies. Slightly less empowering. I think it's easy to blame yourself and beat yourself up when someone you're dating rejects you, especially when it happens without a conversation or closure. But the real horror story, and I believe this so wholeheartedly, is when we let these experiences define us, make us question that we'll ever find connection or chemistry again, make us doubt our value or that there are incredible people out there for us right now. And this doesn't just apply to dating, it's everything. It's a risk that we take at work that gets shot down. It's a leap that we take as an entrepreneur or an aspiring screenwriter (laughs) that fails. The true horror story is never what happens to us. It's the meaning we give it, and whether we use it as an excuse to hold us back from putting ourselves out there again or as a catalyst to reflect, learn, and become a stronger version of ourself. When Ben disappeared, I got my hands on as many relationship, dating, and attraction materials that I could. The work I invested will make me a better partner in my next relationship. And the truth is, Ben's actions inspired me to become a stronger version of myself and elevate my standards for the men that I date. And I can't think of a greater gift that you can give someone than the inspiration to evolve. Sometimes I think it takes a heartache to realize you're worth more than you were settling for. And when you know how much you're worth, you stop giving people and ghosts discounts. Thank you.
0: Marshall everybody oh my gosh that was so lovely but I'm kind of steamed that we just lost our Nickelodeon sponsorship no man that was great oh my god uh I hate to be the kind of overweight white bearded comedian who's like let me talk to you guys about dating uh (laughs) But, man, oh, it's so tough. uh, It's really tough being ghosted. And I think you it's really important to walk that line between, especially as a man, recognizing that women don't owe you their time. But also, like, when you make actual physical plans with somebody, like, please be respectful of the fact that, like, they are counting on that. And, like, it's – you can't – you shouldn't just flick, right? Don't bail. Like, I would probably say – 85% of the first dates I make never happen. Isn't that crazy? Like 85%. Y'all, dating is hard. Listen to my perspective for (laughs) once. Anyway. All right. Enough of that shit. Coming next to the stage, a relative newcomer to the storytelling scene. But uh, her list of credits already quite impressive. In addition to being her own storyteller, she uh, co-produces the show... Uh, oh my god! I didn't write down the name of the show because I'm a dummy. Truth but she, told. truth be told, with our our good friend Scott Whitehair, who you may remember from like our best of five year anniversary show at uh, where at the Hideout. Scott is so great. Can't wait to hear from his co producer and our new friend Ann Perky.
6: This is a story, a new story about in 2005 when I weighed 191 pounds tonight I'm going to tell you a really scary story that takes place in a suburb of Chicago called Lake Forest the women are all skinny size zero and blonde and I am fat They push themselves so hard in Pilates classes that they actually break a foot. (laughs) They eat an almond and an iced tea for lunch. (laughs) Then there is me, and I don't fit in. I am fat. I eat Oreos. I have to cover my big stomach with a big brown muumuu, which makes me look like a monk. I'm that one who's farting in the back of the hot yoga class. (laughs) I buy my clothes in the maternity section of Target. During the holidays, I chugged a whole gallon of Oberweiss eggnog and recorded it on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) So one day... I put on my brown moo and go out to get a simple coffee at the new streamlined Starbucks in Lake Forest. It is a snotty gathering place with tons of t- t- modern tables and a fire. I just want to get my coffee and sit down My brown mumu unfortunately has mustard stains From eating two bratwurst at the mean wiener <laughs> <laughs> I try to get to the counter But there was a group of beautiful girls Around 13 years old In kick pleat skirts and L.L. Bean backpacks Who are savagely biting cake pops Waiting for frappuccinos <laughs> These are the children of the master race. They move in a group, giggling. They engulf me by accident and then elbow me aside like I'm an opponent at a New Trier High School field hockey match. It hurts. They see I'm fat and they hate fat people. The barista surfs Give them the 15 frappuccinos, and they head out. I get my coffee and to see where I should sit, possibly with another fat person, but there are only two of us in Lake Forest, and I bet the other fat person is down the street at Gerhard's Bakery, scarfing a Swedish pastry. I head to a table, and there was a group of women blocking me. These are the mothers of the girls of the master race. (laughs) They are tanned, anorexic, and dressed in lily Pulitzer dresses. It is my right to claim my table. They should be giving me respect because I am an endangered species. I'm one of the two fat people in Lake Forest, and this is how we're treated? The women throw back their blonde, bobbed heads and cackle wildly about how to eliminate their stepkids. (laughs) I am chugging my coffee when I see one of the women break off from the group. She sees me. I actually know her. Her daughter did some arts and crafts thing with me, with my daughter, in the third grade. I take a bold risk. I say, hi, Paige. I said that to mark my territory. They're not going to push me out of Starbucks. Um. She looks at me startled that I have spoken. She sees the moo-moo and thinks, how dare you come here dressed like that. She opens her mouth and she says, why, hi. (laughs) hi i reply then she says i have lost my children she should be hooked up to an IV as she is so skinny do you know where my children are she says i don't know where your children are she probably is hallucinating because she hasn't eaten in three days i love that thing you're wearing she says brown is such a yummy color She goes back to her friends, and they get quiet. I'm pretty sure I overhear her saying, I just talked to a fat person, and she seems so lovely. (laughs) They throw back their blonde bobs and laugh. Why do I subject myself to this crap? I moved to this place for the schools. The schools work magic, an educational consultant said. Get your daughter here there will be a transformation. Transformation, ha! I move from a size 12 to a size 3X. I must out myself to you. Perhaps it is evident. Perhaps everyone knows it but me. Perhaps it is my secret shame. I want to be skinny and accepted. I want to eat an almond and be satisfied. I want to hold court at Starbucks, giggling about how I once gained a pound hiding in a closet with a bundt cake. (laughs) I want to go to a theme party at the country club and have the men want to bang me in a Mercedes SUV. I want to be blonde. I'd like to have kids who are rude to fat people. But you know what? I went to the ladies' luncheons, where food was seen but not touched. I went to fundraisers for sending obese, underprivileged children to fat camps in the mountains. I brought sushi to a homeless shelter, and I was fucking miserable. But today, I'm truly okay. I have friends who accept me at 191 pounds. I don't want to be in the master race, and I don't want to be with the blondes at size zero. I have friends today who embrace me for exactly who I am in my big brown moo-moo. Thank you, Anne. That
0: was wonderful. Oh, my gosh, What a lovely lovely night of stories it's been. I hope you guys have... Been a little spooked, but also have some food for thought. Go home and think about this shit. It's such a transformative experience here at Your Stories. Yeah, um, because we have one more storyteller tonight. Uh, this dude was on the show a couple years ago. I'm so happy he's back. Uh, we mentioned Competition Kitchen earlier, and Leia said, Oh, it's if you ever wanted to live out your Iron Chef dreams. Well, this gentleman, in addition to being the head chef at, uh, at Kinski down in Bridgeport, uh, also was on a show called, uh, I think last time we did the podcast, we referred to it as Butthroat Kitchen, so as to <laughs> definitely avoid any copyright issues or, or libel that may result. Anyway, please welcome star of Butthroat Kitchen, Mr. Juan Kim. <laughs>
7: You're so cool. Oh, thanks. Uh, last time I was, I got arrested in New York. Uh, true story. Not a horror story. It's actually true. I'm going to sit down because everyone else is sitting. That's cool. Uh, so last time I was on here, uh, I had a 102 degree fever and I had to like take a shit the whole time. Uh, I don't have a fever this time, so that's good. So this is like a typical day uh, at work. It's like a... Let's call it a Wednesday, 6, 17 p.m., okay?
5: <laughs>
7: um, can I order food? Where do I order food from? Do I walk through here? So, like, how does this work? Do you guys have tacos? Like, really? I can walk through here? Well, what is this place? Um, so I hear these kind of questions, and it makes, gets me thinking, you know, after about a year and a half being open, I, you know, I get thoughts of, like, nothing, nothing scares me more than thinking about the decline of humans as an alpha logical animal race, right? It's one of those things that we, as humans, kind of just, like, take to heart and say, like, well, we can think. We can, like, add things, you know, subtract, do algebra, and, you know, X minus this shit, right? So here comes the, like, get-off-my-lawn attitude and sentiment that a a lot of millennials may think that I suffer from, But my immediate response to everyone, not just millennials, is that y'all are fucking dumb. (laughs) A little backstory. So I'm a huge fan of signs and anything signage. I love directional things, infographics, pictures, hand drives with the the three squiggly lines that look like bacon. (laughs) Things tell me what to do to streamline my day and activities. Red lights, stop. Green light, go. Red hand, don't walk. White man walking on a street sign, you walk. <laughs> a giant red hexagon sign that says stop. These are things that make sense. It's obvious. If you follow these simple icons, you'll most likely live. <laughs> Be patient, observant, observant, respectful. It's simple for a reason. People are stupid. Kiss. Keep it simple, stupid.
5: <laughs>
7: that's, a, that's a kitchen saying that we say a lot. Because people always try to muck up recipes and add their little two cents. Nothing, you know, the competitive kitchen thing, you know, it's opposite way of that. It should add more shit, anyways. <laughs> so, is there anything scarier than rational human beings that can't comprehend a color red for stop or a lit green sign that means go? These are just a few examples. I'll apply it to my horror and dismay. I run a stupid restaurant. I try to make things simple. I used to be a sign maker at Amazon Foods. My job was to tell adults through words and images what the fuck to do. Mm -hmm. Organic eggs here Your stupid fucking kale here (laughs) I'll be the first to admit That the layout of my restaurant Isn't optimal for ordering food In the back area Where the bar is attached Uh, There's a place called Maria's Packaged Goods 31st and Morgan That's my restaurant Attached to that shithole it's not like you have to go through a cave, figure out a riddle, and fight a fucking orc to get through. <laughs> I had to change my chalkboard in the back four times since we opened. When we first opened, I wrote the menu out, the hours we were open, and how to order food. I was idealistic, positive, and hopeful. <laughs> Wrong! <laughs> Second time I changed it, I modified the entry point direction, changed the colors, added a giant spotlight. Nothing. (laughs) Third time, I erased the whole menu and wrote three simple bullet points. If you want food, come on in. I know it's a little weird, but it's the only way you can get food. Seriously, come on in. (laughs) True story. And I added seven yellow footsteps to the ground. That's how how many steps it took to get to the front to order food. Seven steps. You've got to be fucking kidding me, right? So now the signs... Now the sign... It says, enter for food, you fucking imbecile. Otherwise, starve to death, you stupid cocksucker. <laughs> it was close, but, you know, stupid hospitality. It just says, enter for food if you are hungry. Follow footsteps. By the way, we're open these hours. That's all it says now. <laughs> I actually give discounts to people that read the board and enter and order no problem. I award people for fucking reading. I give them a 30% discount. This is a true story. When people come in and they're like, they don't ask me shit, they're like, what's up? I'm like, nothing. What the fuck you want to eat? Give this man a discount. Give this woman a discount. They read. They know how to read. They see a giant spotlight on this board with a giant arrow and they see they see these footsteps. They see the Orc in the background. They don't they don't sway, right? So, we have these laptops in our pocket these days We have infinite information available to us And we have come so far In terms of obtaining data And here we are no further advanced Than the first cave dwellers Not knowing what yellow footsteps on the floor are for I read this to you from an iPhone Because it's easy, informational And has amazing clarity To the otherwise terrible things I see on my phone
5: <laughs>
7: Mainly porn Weird, disgusting porn Laser wolf porn them. <laughs> so in conclusion please look both ways before crossing the street google things and always know that there are assholes like me that'll call you a fucking moron if you don't thank you <laughs>
0: Guys, let's not bury the lead of that story. Now you all know how to get a 30% discount at Juan's restaurant. That's powerful. That food is really good. I must admit, I went there on a date, and my date had to show me how to order. But I mean, she, she, I wasn't like even trying. She just led me through before I had a chance. I hate you. Oh. I failed. I'll do better next time, Juan. I promise. It's all right, we like mutually ghosted each other, so it's chill, right guys? That's
5: how that works. That's how that works.
0: I'm, the, I'm a monster too sometimes, but I love me, right? Now. I love
5: you.
0: More scorpions. Now, come on up, Katie. Um, we have one song left this evening, but first I want to give it up again for everybody who told the story tonight. So good. This was, uh, this was a really, really great crowd. Guys, why am I putting my guitar in drop D? I don't
1: I'm going to play something. is uh, by an artist that I discovered this year though they have been around for a while it's Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson (laughs) 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 his music is really good, (laughs) and I was very pardon it is really good I was very very Christian as a child (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) as a child
1: Not anymore. Yeah. I'm agreeing. Yes and. Yes. we
0: yeah. right. babies, so yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, and we're doing like a, a jazzy arrangement, so we're going to need yeah. your help on some percussion because, yes. uh, you know, we're, we're down a couple band members yes. tonight. So you're our third member now, guys.
1: Yeah. So just like follow what I I do. I'll do some stuff with my hands.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, boy.
1: Don't make this about harassment. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> and I don't need you. Don't bother to resist or I'll beat you. It's not your fault that you're always wrong. The weak ones are there to justify the strong. The beautiful people, the beautiful people. It's all relative to the size of your steeple. You can't see the forest or the trees and you can't smell your own shit hate every motherfucker who's in your way. Hey, you, what do you see? Something beautiful or something free? Hey, you, why are you trying to be mean? You live with these man. it's hard to get clean. The ones will live in every host. It's hard to pick which one they hate the most. The horrible people, the horrible people. It's all atomic to the size of your steeple
0: production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. And go to www.nerdologs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome!
3: Thank
2: you all. Thank you all. I am grabbot 23548X